This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome back to Death by Southwest, the podcast where each week I share a different grisly murder story unique to the American Southwest, while my sister and co-host tries to piece together the clues and unravel the mystery behind each of these heinous crimes. We are back this week with part two of the victims of Robert Ben Rhodes, a.k.a. the truck stop killer. And since we ended up breaking this episode into two parts, we generally wouldn't have another intro or sense of place since we already did that last time. But we happen to have a lot that we cut out of part one's intro sense of place because there just wasn't enough time to include all of the truck stop and truck driver trivia that we covered. So we saved that and we are going to put it at the beginning of this episode. Now it's a little bit choppy since we cut some of these trivia questions and sense of place conversations out of part one. So you'll notice that there's some transition music in between parts that don't really flow. But Hopefully you guys will enjoy this little brief intro to part two, and then we will go ahead and jump into the episode. Some some more truck driver lingo. If a truck driver refers to something or a driver as a bumper sticker, they are calling them that because that driver is a bad driver a truck with a large load, a cop, or a tailgater. A tailgater. Totally correct. I could have said that without the multiple choice. I figured you could have. You know what I actually wanted to do, and I didn't, I wanted to include in this, and this question reminds me of it, is like, is common or funny or something bumper stickery to do with trucks? Do a lot of trucks have bumper stickers or no? Is it mostly cars probably? I I imagine, yeah, trucks, yeah, they're like a company truck. Could you take the French fries out of the oven for me, please? So I don't have to get up. Okay. You should keep that in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they can't, except for the ones that say, like, stay six feet back or call if it's a bad driver. Yeah, that's true. Because it's like a either representing a truck company or a company company like Shamrock Farms. Okay, so you'll understand why that, like, I thought bumper sticker, because there's something in this story today that that makes me think of bumper stickers. Um, So someone who listens, like a truck driver who has their CB radio on, is listening it all the time, listening all the time, but never speaks, what are they referred to as? I should have multiple choice for this because it's it's weird. I don't know, but the first thing I thought of is like when I'm on a work Zoom meeting, like with my colleagues Uh that's me i'm always on but i'm never talking okay um okay so when the truck driver is always listening into the cb but never contributing yeah not a looky loo because he's not looking but a listener loo (laughs) i don't know why that would make more sense than this they they're known they're referred to as reading the mail 
I don't understand why. Like, I don't see how that correlates. Because a looky-loo, listener-loo, like, I get that. Reading the mail? Well, it's maybe like... Observing? You're... You know how it's... Not that it's illegal, but like... Oh, yeah, you're... Getting all the info. Reading someone else's... Getting other people's info. Yeah, I get that. No, I see where your brain went with that. I get it. If you compiled all the trucks in the U.S., they would be one truck short of touching Mars. They would kiss the moon. They would span across the world one and a half times. Or there would be enough for every American household to own one. Number three or C. They would span across the world one and a half times. Yeah. They would kiss the moon, which I'm not sure. Is that lo- which is longer? Eh. Ooh. Meaning they would go from Earth, from the edge of Earth to moon. To the edge of moon, yeah. So is that uh, longer distance than around the Earth? We should. I feel like I should know that. Also, maybe, well, no, because the, the moon stays in its... I was going to say, maybe it depends on wh- where the moon is, but... Depends on where the same Earth Same distance, yeah. always, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, if I say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go pay the water bill... What am I doing? As a truck Getting driver. gas. No. No. Washing my truck. That would make sense, but no. Uh, paying the water bill. Does it actually involve money transaction? No. Okay. Pulling over to pee. Mm-hmm. Oh. Stopping to use the bathroom. You are absolutely correct. Huh. Ooh, I think we talked about this before. How many hours can a driver operate their vehicle in one day maximum? 16. 11. Oh, that's not. I mean, that's a long day's work, but that, I, I think that's good. It probably keeps, it, it, it forces people to be safe because 11. Well, that's the purpose, right? right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is yeah. you, because otherwise people get tired or yeah. tired or tired. whatever. Yeah. They haven't fed themselves if they don't have that cool fully stocked mini fridge. How long is the longest interstate highway in the U.S.? Can you tell me which interstate it is? I can tell you it's Interstate 90. Okay, yeah, that's what I mean. I don't know where that is. It is... I, I like, want to tell you where it runs from, but then you'll be able to guess how long it is, probably. I mean, no. But, okay. Oh, okay. You want to know or you want to just No, guess? I'm just going to guess okay. and then I want to know. Interstate 90. No idea if I don't know if I've ever driven on it, but I'm guessing it is 772 miles. Wow. Wrong? (laughs) Yeah. It goes from Seattle, (laughs) Washington to Boston. Oh my gosh. It's so many more miles. It's 3,100 miles. Whoa. And Interstate 80 is the second longest, and it runs from Teaneck, New Jersey to San Francisco for 2,900 miles. You could take one, and it's probably not the most direct or quickest route, but that's cool. You could take one. From one side (gasps) all the way to the other. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh 2,900 miles. Yeah. 3,100 miles. It's long. Interstate 90 and Interstate 80. 80. Mm -hmm. Also, I have a question that I'm going to write down, Mm -hmm. but like, why do some, why is some, what's the difference between, well, I know interstate means between states Mm -hmm. but like highway versus freeway versus uh, other ways 
highway, freeway. You know what? You know what I I did find. <clears throat> a, okay, a highway. I feel like I know this, but I don't. I might not because I was driving in Florida, whatever, a couple of years ago, and I remember like, and I got a ticket in the mail because I'm, I'm so not used to driving and you have to pay a toll. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and, and there was like no option. It was like, you you pay, you have to have the money to you pay. You either pay or have the fast pass. Right. So you don't have to pay. Maybe it's one of those where it's like you can, I was going to close it, you out. Well, no, it was, so I didn't have any yeah. coins, any cash, any anything. It was so late at night and it took me by so surprise. Like all of a sudden I was upon it that I was like, uh, and I just went, I was like, fuck it. I'm just going through the fast pass one yep. and definitely took a picture. And then I got a bill in the mail. I got one in California too. Yeah. Um, and, and actually uh, Michael drove through one in somewhere in France and we were kind of freaked out about that one. I can't recall why, but like a lot of times they, yeah, I guess you just go through the fast pass. That's what a lot of people do. Long haul truck drivers are or are not permitted to pick up hitchhikers. Are not. They are not permitted to. Isn't isn't it illegal to pick up? Actually, I don't know. I'm not sure if okay. it's illegal, but it, they are not allowed to pick them up. Uh, apparently, though, it is acceptable for a truck driver. I mean, and, and honestly, we'll, we'll get the answers to this. I feel like we have enough listeners who drive trucks that could answer these for us. So, um, But apparently, it is it is acceptable for a truck driver, driver to have another person with them as long as their company approves it first, which hmm. seems like there could be a lot of wiggle room there. Which also is interesting because insurance doesn't cover a hitchhiker which could be, well, because they maybe don't have the person's name down right. on maybe the thing. Maybe like... They have, have full coverage. Like, I'm thinking about if it's similar to a car. Like, anyone can drive or be in my car or drive my car and be covered. Right. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or, like, if I'm a truck driver and I want you to come with me, maybe I, like, the company adds your name to the insurance And then maybe I have to something. sign something, yeah. too. Exactly. Yeah. So the last thing I'll say is before we jump into this episode is what do you think lot lizards refer to? When we're talking about people at truck stops. Oh, um, sex workers. Indeed. Okay, that concludes our sense of place for part two. And just to refresh your memory on where we left off in the last episode, we had learned that Robert Ben Rhodes had a propensity for kidnapping and torturing women in his tractor trailer as he traveled across the highways. First, there was Shayna Holt, who escaped and led police to Robert Ben Rhodes, but was too terrified to actually ID him, which meant that he walked away free from that incident. Then there was Lisa Penal, who was rescued in Casa Grande, Arizona, by Arizona Highway Patrolman Michael Miller when he noticed Rhodes' truck pulled over on the shoulder of the highway. He stopped to investigate and found Lisa chained up inside the cab. This incident landed Robert in jail for six years, during which time the FBI began to dig deeper into his life and past, including searching his apartment. And what they found in that apartment led police to believe that Rhodes had not only harmed many other women, but had very likely killed them. 
And that's where we'll pick back up. In September of 1990, several months later, over 800 miles away in Bond County, Illinois, there was a report of a body discovered, and it came across the desk of Special Agent Michael Sheely. He drove to the rural area of Bond County and spoke to the local officer who explained that a farmer was donating his barn to the fire department. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but they were going to burn it down. And before doing so, he did one final walkthrough to make sure there's nothing left inside. He didn't really use the barn that much from what I understand, but it was kind of an extra barn on an area of his property that he didn't use. Maybe he was donating for training purposes. You know what? That totally makes sense. So he wanted to make sure there was nothing left inside. And he did one final walkthrough. And on this walkthrough, he discovered what he believed to be a badly decomposed human body in the hayloft. Because he probably only went out there, Rarely. what, like once every few weeks to a month? Because he had a big, if he lived on a farm. He had a big property. He didn't use this barn anymore. It was right. essentially so he, abandoned. Right. So why yeah. would he go? No purpose to go there, check it out, investigate, exactly. right? Yeah. So this was, you know, right before he was about to turn it over to the fire department, he discovered, you know, he thought they were human remains. And upon further investigation, it was determined that, yes, this was human remains. And forensic examiners were able to figure out that it was a female body that had been in the barn for about six months. The female was around 14 to 16 years old. And they were able to determine that she had been bound up with wire ligature. Her hands had been strung up above her head and tied to a beam in the barn. And after enduring what they suspected was pretty extensive torture she had been strangled to death with a wire ligature I'm going to say ligature because I don't know how to say the word that they actually use which is a wire garret I want to say how do you spell Gar- it garrow g-a-r-r-o-t-e I don't know all right well either which way it means this like it's strangulation a, like a very yes a, okay. a wire yeah a wire strangulation uh-huh Oy. So th- that's all they could determine, basically, that, that that how she had been killed, how she had been kind of kept in the barn and tortured. But she had no ID, no clothing, and the body was about six months decomposed. It was hard to, to tell much more than that. So police thought, well, we'll look at missing girls in the area, and that'll help us. You know, at least we know about how old she is, whatnot. Well, maybe not, though. Yeah, not at all, because they determined that They had about 950 missing girls in the area in that timeline that also fit her age and description. Well, and also, I didn't even know that, but I was thinking if this was the truck killer, this could have been a body of a person who was a, you know, a... From a different town, a different county. And and you're absolutely right, because Agent Michael Sheely, since he couldn't really find anything that matched perfectly to this in the area. He sent out details of the victim to the missing persons departments across the country, all over, hoping that someone might be able to help. And eventually, a detective in Pasadena, Texas, got back to him. The detective said it possibly matched the description of a missing girl from Pasadena, Texas, Regina K. Walters. Mm. And the reason that this kind of set off alarm bells in this detective's head in Texas is that not only was their daughter Regina, who was 14 when she went missing, she was missing, 
but the family had received an anonymous phone call shortly after she disappeared. Regina's father had received a call on his unlisted number. So this number was not publicly available and not any anything. Though really the only people who had this number was family, was his his wife, was Regina. And so he after Regina went missing, he received a number a call on this number. And even though he didn't recognize the number, he answered and the caller said, "I know where Regina is. She's in a barn and I've cut her hair." And Regina's father asked immediately, "Is she still alive?" But he never got an answer because the caller hung up. I'm guessing no. After hearing about the phone call, Agent Sheely in Illinois said, well, maybe this missing girl from Pasadena, Texas, this seems very similar. This could definitely be it. And asked if the parents had dental records, which they did. And dental records confirmed that the body in this barn in Illinois did belong to Regina Walters, a 14-year-old girl who had gone missing six months earlier from Pasadena, Texas. I have a question. Yeah. Dental records. Like, we all have them. We've all, or we, you and I, have been to the dentist in our life. Right. The last time I went to the dentist was a year and a half ago. Prior to that, maybe 10 years. I don't have dental records in my home. But if I went to the dentist a year and a half ago, if I got murdered, I'm not trying to make this about me, (laughs) but if I got murdered, someone might be able to find those. Absolutely, we'd be able to find them. Like, if if you were murdered, we would go back to every dentist you've ever been to. Michael knows my last dentist. Dentist. (laughs) Dentist. So after Regina was identified... They knew this body in the barn in Illinois belongs to 14-year-old Regina from Pasadena, Texas. Agent Sheely from Illinois and Agent Lee from Houston connected. And remember Agent Lee found a stack of photographs Mm -hmm. in in Robert Rhodes' apartment Mm -hmm. in Houston. With the women pictures. Women pictures and particularly one girl, like a lot of pictures of one girl. The bruises that were there, prominent and then fading. And so he shared these photographs with Agent Sheely in Illinois. Well, the the photographs to identify the young person would would have been impossible for me uh, from being out there. But the barn that she entered, I knew every square foot of that barn. I I had seen that barn for days and days. And so the minute I saw the photographs of her entering the barn and going into the barn loft and the beams, it just gave you that eerie feeling that, that that's exactly what had to happen here. And, and so we were on to this case. He had chronologically photographed her. The most telling for us was how he had taken photographs and staged her death and had staged them during the course right before he'd killed her. You know, he didn't know, he didn't know Regina. He had not been working this missing person's case in Houston, but he, he knew, knew the, the barn because he had been examining it for days. Remember, these pictures, they had already found these in Houston, but he's now seeing them for the first time, and they showed this horrible story about this girl that he had just found the, the decomposed body to, that he had shaved her head, shaved her pubic hair, p- pierced her with fishing hooks and other instruments. He had dressed her up in a black dress and black high heels and seemingly photographed her uh, throughout various moments of absolute terror, he was capturing the most horrific, fearful moments. She was being forced to look at the camera yes. and maybe even didn't. I haven't seen the photos. Have I, you? I have seen a few of them, yeah. Um, the final set of photographs uh, were 
mo- taken moments before she was killed. And so what she was killed with, I had to, I, I did look this up and, and I don't know how to pronounce it, but the it's a balling wire garret, garrot. I'm not That's sure. That same word. That same word. And it refers to a makeshift weapon or tool that is constructed using a, a balling or baling wire. It's a strong and flexible type of wire usually used for binding hay bales. And the garret or garrot is a weapon designed for strangulation or choking. It involves using a wire loop or cord to apply pressure around a person's neck, cutting off their air supply. That's all it's created for. <laughs> that that's what it that is what it is created for. Not that wire specifically, but that garrote or right. Garrot. That's that yeah. kind of. It's not the material necessarily. It's, it's the, the shape. Right. Yeah. So to create a a bailing wire or balling. Uh, people are going to be so annoyed that I didn't look up how to say this. But a balling wire garret. How do you say this? Garret. A balling wire garret? Garrot? Garrote? <laughs> Let's call it a garrote. It's like a wire that you strangle somebody with, you know? A garrote. I don't know. Oh, okay, damn. I thought you would. Um, I like garrote. Garrote. <laughs> We've become Jesus. French this evening. <laughs> Garote. I did look this up after the fact, and it turns out the correct pronunciation is garot, not Garrett, garot. So I apologize for the mispronunciation throughout this episode. Don't miss what happens next in today's episode. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. So a balling or baling wire garrote, you take the length of a baling wire and form it into a loop or noose-like shape. Then you place that loop around a victim's neck and the wire is tightened by pulling both ends, exerting pressure on the neck and obstructing the airflow. Then you usually twist or knot the wire to maintain tension. Um... That's like literally what I did with their bathing suit. <laughs> I'm all double loop it. Different. Okay. So more friendly. Garroting is a violent and deadly form of attack often associated with criminal activities or acts of violence. So like it's, they use it as a, as a verb. Yeah. You can, you garret someone. Clearly. Garrote someone. Garrot. <laughs> <laughs> we're, to bring it back, we're going to, uh, hear a little bit more from these detectives talking about these horrible photographs. And looking in her eyes and looking at her face, you can tell that she's terrified. Um, And at that point, she's just, just minutes from being killed. 
When you see a photograph like that, you have to control your emotions. It's a piece of evidence that you're looking at. You have to realize what your goal is. Your goal is to take this piece of evidence, tie it to someone, and be able to put that person in jail. Wow, that person sounds really a bit moved, but also trying to keep it clear, concise, factual. Yeah, that's what really came through in watching a lot of these interviews is that the detectives were like, this was hard. Like, this was a terrible case, terrible thing for them to see. But they were, they it, it drove them to feel more than ever, like, we have to right. keep it together to catch motivated. this guy. Yeah, motivated, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. At this point, based on all the evidence that they have, they've now seen this pattern twice, which is alluding to that they're se- that Rhodes is a sexual sadist. The pattern of cutting the hair, shaving all the pubic hair, piercing them uh, in their private parts with various fish hooks. And these are all signatures. And what I found was that um, sexual sadists tend to have signatures that they use from very and, and develop from very early on in life that are kind of ingrained within them. And then that continues. Police, as they continued to dig and explore this, they learned that Regina, this victim who was found in the barn, she and her 18-year-old boyfriend, Ricky Jones, decided to run away. They were hitchhiking on a highway when Rhodes stopped to pick them up. Uh, police believe that, they, that Rhodes had immediately killed Ricky and disposed of him. No use for him. Right. And he was not seen for a very long time, if ever. But that Rhodes then kept Regina for several weeks in the back of his cab, torturing her before killing her. While police in both Texas and Illinois continued to work together to further investigate Regina's murder, while they were doing this, Rhodes was still in prison. Remember, he had gone to prison prior to this for six years for for Lisa. He pleaded guilty to kidnapping and torturing Lisa in Casa Grande. Remember, the officer found him in his in the cab. So he was already in prison for this, but he's he's about to get out. He's about to be paroled. And so officers now have another have, have Regina's murder that yeah, they want to bring him out him. and let's bring him back in. But they want to make a strong case against him so that so he was up for parole in ninety two. He was only in jail for two years before he was up for parole. He was sentenced to six. Trust me, I have also six. I know. But I I won't go there now. But he was up for parole in ninety two, so they had to present enough evidence to the DA to get an arrest warrant before he was let set free out in the world again. Because at that point, really he could disappear. Like he could get out of jail and disappear. And they could never find him. So they wanted to make sure that they had enough evidence for an arrest warrant so he never got out of jail. And right before he was scheduled to be released from prison in Arizona, the DA issued an arrest warrant for the murder of Regina Walters. Agent Sheely in Illinois, he flew to Arizona and he served Robert Rhodes with this arrest warrant in prison in Casa Grande before flying him back to Illinois. And he remembers meeting Rhodes in person. He was cold, he was calculated. Um, he didn't have any trouble looking you square in the eye and saying he's not involved. We provided him with the arrest warrant for murder. There was still no reaction, nothing at all. 
And so I had a eight by 10 photograph of Regina and I put it on the table in front of him, turned it around and I said, this is your victim. And that was the first time any emotion out of, out of him, but it wasn't a, an emotion of, of sorrow or an emotion of, of something that he had done. It was, he was angry and he got up and said that the interview was over. He wouldn't speak to us any longer. Hmm. On September 11th, 1992, before the case for Regina Walters' murder could go to trial, Rhodes agreed to a plea bargain again, pleading guilty and admitting to killing Regina so that he could avoid the death penalty. Multiple people who were present in court that day recall that he pled guilty with a smile on his face, seemingly enjoying the pain and all the chaos that he had created for months and realistically years, even though nobody knew it at the time. Um, and that even though he had been in jail for, for several years at this point and was now going to jail for much longer for murder, he hadn't changed at all. He won maybe in his mind if he didn't get the death. He didn't get the death penalty. Yeah. This was 1992. For many, many years, he remained in prison for murder that was it. There was kind of no more talk of, of Robert Rhodes or potential victims or anything except one man in Texas, Texas Ranger Brooks Long, who had followed the case earlier and 11 years after Rhodes had been in prison for the murder of Regina Walters, Brooks Long began investigating other disappearances that had happened around that time. I would say that he had the ability to be Mr. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He was able to coerce people to trust him and gain confidence in his good old boy laid back attitude. But once he had their trust and their guard was down, then you saw the real Robert Ben Rhodes come into play. He didn't believe that that's it, that this is all that, that Robert Rhodes had done. So he began investigating the disappearance of two newlyweds from Seattle, Washington. Patricia Walsh and Douglas Zizkowski. They'd been missing since January of 1990. They left Seattle in November of 1989. They left all of their belongings behind and they hit the road trying to hitchhike to Georgia preaching the Christian gospel. And so initially back in 1999, they left and they told people what they were doing. They were going to travel the country preaching gospel. But then very quickly, no one ever heard from them again. So when they initially disappeared in 1990, their family searched extensively for them. And not long after their disappearance, literally weeks, like late January of 1990, they left in November of 89. They left Seattle. Kept two in months touch, later. Kept, two kept months later. Right. Kept in touch. Kept in touch. And then they, no one Fell heard off. from them. And then in late January of 1990, a body was found near Interstate 10, east of Ozona, Texas. It was believed to be Douglas. But there was no identification. He had no clothing on. So it was hard to be sure. And it took about two years for them to obtain dental records and then confirm that this was Douglas's body. And at this point, Patricia's now two years, they found Douglas's body. He was dead months after they left. Patricia's family, I don't want to say gave up hope, but was trying to find some, some closure and that perhaps she was not going to be found. There were no witnesses, no real suspects to link to the crime. And this case kind of ran cold. Douglas's body was found. They didn't know where Patricia was, but there was, 
There was nothing to go on. Until Texas Ranger Brooks decided to look into it many, many years later, in 2003. So he decided to re-examine the ballistics report from Douglas's murder. Because Douglas had been shot in the head multiple times with a gun that's called a Jennings J-22 semi-automatic handgun. And they determined that by the bullets that were in his head as well as the casings that had been at the scene when he was found in January of 1990. What was notable to Ranger Brooks, I mean, this guy is like, when I was re- I was like, how the hell did this guy connect all these dots? But just But wait. that's his profession, right? Right, yeah. And he, but he, he saw something here that, other people didn't because he went back in to re-examine it. And so he noticed that, that the ammunition that was found in Douglas's head and on the ground was considered rare. It was rare ammunition. It was marked with, it was branded with a T on the bullets for Tarson. Ah, so s- someone specific. Very specific. And it in- initially this had ruled Robert Rhodes out. So he had apparently been a questionable suspect Aww. back in the day, but because the the ammunition that they found in his truck when he was arrested, remember, with the woman with the horse bit in her yeah. mouth? Yeah. It was a box of arm score is what the ammunition was called. That's what it was marketed under, arm score. Nobody really looked at it further. But Ranger Brooks somehow knew a lot about ammunition, and so he contacted the Casa Grande police, and he said... Can you look into this ammunition? I need you to not just look at the box. I need you to open it up, take out the bullets, and tell me what is on this bullet. A T. A T. And so initially he was ruled out because they just said, well, it's not the same ammunition. Nobody really looked deeper into it. So it was in a, it was in a different box, but it's the same ammunition that killed Douglas. And it's a rare ammunition. So this was the first real clue that Ranger Brooks was like, There's more here. This connects them somehow. So he thought, okay, so now I can connect Rhodes to Douglas's murder. Can't prove it, but can connect it. I need to look for other connections. So he began searching nationwide for reports of an unidentified 20-something redhead who would have been shot with a Jennings J-22 and found naked with no ID around this time in the 90s. Redhead kind of cuts it down. Yeah. And so he put out this report across the country. After a while, he was contacted about a possible match of a body that was discovered by deer hunters near the mouth of a canyon in Utah back in October of 1990, but had never, it had never been identified. So Ranger Brooks spoke to the chief deputy who explained that the case was unsolved, but the bones were still in an evidence vault because it had never been solved. He also told Brooks that the casings and bullets found at the time matched to Jennings' J-22. As Ranger Brooks continued to dig, he found that the timeline also made sense because if Robert Rhodes had been traveling westbound, killed and dumped Douglas almost immediately, and then traveled a bit further, keeping Patricia captive, torturing her, and then dumping her, this would have made sense. So he strongly believed that these bones belonged to Patricia Walsh. And forensic scientists from the University of Arizona compared x-rays of her jaw from her dental records and 13 years after her disappearance identified that these were her bones in Utah. 
Ranger Brooks was determined to pin both of these murders on Robert Rhodes so that he would never get out of prison. But he needed more. And luckily, with advances in DNA, they were able to link DNA found on a towel taken from Robert Rhodes' truck many, the bloody, many years bloody, ago. bloody, bloody towel? Not that towel. It was a towel oh. just in his truck, taken from his truck, and they were able to link that to DNA from Patricia Walsh's bones. She was in his truck. So in March of 2012, Robert Rhodes had served 20 years for the murder of 14-year-old Regina Walters, and he was about to be released once again. You don't want to miss what happens next in today's murder story, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors. Agent Brooks had to take all of this evidence and convince a grand jury that Rhodes should be indicted again based on new evidence and never be released back into the world. Tell me it was effective. The grand jury came back with two confirmed indictments for the murders of Patricia and Douglas. He was extradited from jail in Illinois and brought to Texas where he would yet again stand trial. But before he could ever go to trial, he entered a guilty plea and admitted to both murders. Oh, and okay. I thought you were going to say he died. Sentences. I thought you were going to say he had a heart attack like the last one. Nope. He received multiple life sentences. So at this point, he was officially convicted of three murders and one kidnapping and assault. And he was going to spend the rest of his life in prison. Was. Is. I'm I'm hypersensitive to did he I die? Know. He did not. Okay. He's still alive and there. Yes. Authorities Especially Ranger Brooks, like he was on one now. Like he's like, there is more. There's no way that this is all that happened. So he thought, who else can I prove like quickly and easily? And he thought Ricky Jones, Regina's boyfriend that she had run away with. He had never been found. He was just gone. No one had ever he found him. He was quick and gone. He was gone almost immediately. Agent Brooks went back to this notebook that had been found in a road's truck. Doodles and little notes and phone numbers and drawings and all kinds of kind of fucked up shit in there. There was a lot of knives with blood. And then there was something that said, Ricky is dead in there. And so Brooks was like, he killed him. I just need to figure it out. Mm. And he again, went out to all the missing persons units across the country. Nothing came back. So he started going digging day and night through online um, records of missing people and an, an unsolved homicides and unidentified male bodies. And he came across one in Mississippi that he thought might be a match based on the timing. So he reached out to law enforcement there and was able to obtain some teeth that had been collected from this unidentified homicide in Mississippi. He compared that with DNA from Ricky's biological mother, and it was a match. They, they were able to identify that that was Ricky, but they could never convict Rhodes for that, unfortunately. And initially, after all of this, police thought probably 15 victims Rhodes killed. But the investigation never stopped. It continued going even after he had received multiple life sentences. And as more in information was collected and the behavioral analysis unit got involved and created a profile for him, based on his, his trucking logs, evidence, and his profile, 
the FBI now believes that Rhodes killed at least 50 people over the course of 15 years that he was driving trucks across the country. Investigators have found that Rhodes' trucking logs place him in the area of 50 unsolved murders that occurred in three years before he was arrested, and probably many more before that. Based on the continued investigation evidence, the FBI has strong reason to believe that at his peak, Robert Rhodes was killing one to three women a month. But to end on a positive-ish note, <laughs> if that's possible at this Whiplash. point, <laughs> um, to look for some, some silver lining in this is that this could have gone on for a lot longer. If it hadn't been for that Michael Miller highway patrol officer in Casa Grande who stopped to check on, on his truck, you know, he wasn't doing it. He just thought like, maybe let me look into this truck. And he, if that hadn't happened, this killing spree could have continued for Years and totally. Years Michael Miller more. should be given a medal totally. and a yes. extra high fives. Yes. So thankfully, um, Robert Ben Rhodes is safely behind bars to this day, currently serving two life sentences without the possibility of parole at the Menard Correctional Center in Chester, Illinois. Yay. <laughs> I, I do mean that. That sounded lackluster, but like I do mean that. I'm glad. Yeah. It's a it's, it's a, a, a good thing. It's a good ending to a terrible that's the, story. That's the silver lining for me. That's true. Yeah. That is it. Like he was caught. He is and he's a, hopefully having a shit time. Yeah. Also maybe not, but either which way, he's not living freely, so that's semi shit time. Yeah. Here he is. Who is he? This is the I mean he literally to me looks like nothing. I don't mean that in like... How would you describe him to people? That nothing, like there's no defining... Besides he's wearing like a BDSM little updo or like outfit, which yeah. is fine. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, so but I, even if you just look at his face, he's just like a very generic white brow. He looks like white bread. He looks like un, unharm, not harmful though. Well, yeah, but that means, I mean, look I at know. Jeffrey Dahmer. Of course. Until you knew who he was. Is that him now? That's him now. Yeah. He had yeah. some type of stroke or something. So one, of, so half his face. And then these are two of the pictures from. Before, uh, um, right before she died. Of Regina. Yeah. That, right before she died. Do you think she knew she was going to die or do you think she was still holding out hope? I think she was probably still holding out hope. I think she looks like sh she doesn't look happy. I think she looks scared. I don't think she looks like she thinks she's about to die. No. I also, I don't know because I've never been about to die. Yeah. That's awful. Well, um, Robert Ben Rhodes, mm -hmm. you didn't get what you deserve in my opinion, but I'm glad you're not free. I have a question to pose to the listeners that I would love to hear about. I've never done this before at the end of an episode, but before we sign off, I'd love to ask, um, do you think... I'm not supposed to answer this, I imagine. You're welcome to, but I'd love I to hear from to. listeners. Do you think that if, if Robert had not gotten into long-distance truck driving, that he would have committed the crimes that he did and or gotten away with them for so long? Like, did this career move kind of support his... Um, predilections and allow him to to do this, you know, without being caught for, to me, for a while. Are very two different questions, though. Would have he gotten into it versus would have it he gotten away with it? 
Okay, so do you feel... Both. Answer both. Yeah, answer both. Yeah. And then also I'd love to hear from all of our listeners who do, who are truck drivers because they're, they all seem, they're all so supportive and sweet that I did, I hate to like put out this episode that, that really depicts the shitty, Does shitty. Does it matter though? Like no, you I guess used to be a teacher. There's teachers who are killers too. There are humans who are killers that have been in every profession, just yeah, like there's true. shit doctors, like just, I'm not even saying murderers, but like. There's shit everything, yeah. so there's murder everything. That's true. That's true. You're That's not true. saying you truck drivers, you must be murder. That's it just true. happens to be <laughs> in their career. That's true. All right, guys, that's it. We're going to sign off. We've been trying to complete this episode for I feel like what feels like this has been an uphill for me, I feel like. Well, yeah, but it hasn't actually been that long. It's been 24 hours, but we finally completed it because we just started it last <laughs> night. True. But then we switched off to platonic which is a great show if you guys have apple tv come on <laughs> there you go just there. watch it there's your show recommendation platonic. platonic on apple plus love it and happy weekend it will be tuesday when you hear this but happy weekend thank you for listening please leave us a review send us a dm join our patreon and stay safe stay hydrated good night and good luck thanks for listening guys Bye-bye. Death by Southwest is hosted by Jenna Schneider and Margot Carmichael. Executive produced by Margot Carmichael. Produced by Jenna Schneider. Audio editing and sound design by Margot Carmichael. Music by Soundstripe. And a special thanks to Edward R. Murrow for letting us borrow his famous sign-off phrase, good night and good luck.